We are in Romans chapter 13. And I am going to start reading in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Coming back to the book of Romans, this uh, wonderful gospel letter that Paul sent to the church in Rome. For those of you who have been here for uh, the many weeks of this series, you realize that it's not just some sermon series, but this is a beautiful letter that Paul has written. Uh, that is, it's, it's beautiful in so many ways because it is the gospel. It is the gospel fleshed out. It is the gospel shown more fully. So that as we read through, we can hear the gospel. I, I can tell you the gospel, you know, in, in one word, right? I could say Jesus, and we could say, oh, there's so many words that come out of that word, right? And I can say the word gospel itself, or I can say good news. I can say it in two words. I could then begin to explain that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died uh, sinless, but for our sins, that he was in the grave for three days, that he arose from the grave and now is giving new life. I, you know, that's the gospel. And then we can give it more fully. And now we can explain it even, even over many weeks of time. We can understand this is the gospel, the fullness of the gospel. And then in chapter 12, Paul starts to make that transition into now. What if the gospel is true? Of course, he's saying it is. If the gospel is true, if the good news is true, if we are truly justified in Christ, if we have no more condemnation, if, if God is for us, then therefore no one could truly be against us. If God has given us Jesus, therefore through him and because of him will surely give us all things. If these things are true. Now, how do we live? How do we live as his people? What do we do? How does this become what we do day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, week by week, year by year? What do we do? In chapter 12, he says, this is what you do. Everything else after is really based upon that. Those first two verses of chapter 12. The gospel and, and, and then praise at the end of chapter 11 for, for the mysteries of God that are being revealed and the depths of God that still cannot be plumbed, that we cannot find, we cannot get down to the nitty gritty of everything that God is. There is that mystery that is there, but so much has been revealed to us. And so therefore we present our bodies as living sacrifices. And these living sacrifices means that we walk around as dead people. 
with no will of our own. Now it is God's will. And when we find our will, it should align with God's will. And if it does not align with God's will, then our will should go away. And we can make those plans, good, godly plans, things that are very good that God wants us to do. We can try to say, this is what that next step is. But God is going to be the one who guides that next step. How many of you had plans yesterday and then right in the middle of your plans, all of a sudden, you know, it's like everything starts coming at you and your plans just explode, you know, or implode or however you want to put it on your daytime or it says, here's how it's going to happen. And then how does it happen? You, we should go back and keep a day timer of what actually happens versus what we plan to happen and see what that looks like. Because the one that actually happens is God's day timer. You just didn't know it. It's what God already had planned before time began, that that's how your day would go. You just didn't know it. That doesn't mean that he's planning out your sin, but he surely knew your sin was going to be there, didn't he? He knew those things that you were going to do, those places you were going to go. He knew those relationships you were going to have and pursue that you were not supposed to pursue. He knew those before you knew those. And yet, if we are his people... He set, before time began, his covenantal love upon us, which means he loves us not based upon what we do, but upon what Christ does and has done. Before Christ came, the covenantal love of God was set on his people because he knew what Christ would do. That's why the sacrificial system was set up, to point to Christ. The sacrificial system, go and sacrifice, right? This unblemished lamb, the Passover, Right? God's going to come with this plague because Pharaoh will not let God's people go. And so God says, okay, you, you, you haven't listened, you haven't listened, you haven't listened. It's hard. His heart is hard. And now God says, you've brought this upon yourself. Firstborn son of every household will die. Except those who in faith take an unblemished lamb. Kill it. And take its blood. Just imagine the mess. The blood of this lamb. And then wipe it on your doorposts. That's not in better homes and gardens. <laughs> right? Here's how to beautify your house and your neighborhood. Wipe the blood of animals on the front of your house. No. But the Passover, where the blood is put on the sides and on the top in shape basically of a cross points us to Christ. It pointed them to Christ. And so as they put their faith in God, they were putting their faith in this lamb, that this lamb's blood would somehow cause the angel of God to pass over their house and not take that life. And that's exactly what happened. And so they were looking forward to the one day when there would be one sacrificial lamb who would fully and finally be the sacrifice for all. And that through that lamb, people would have life. Not that they just, like one person in the household wouldn't die, but that everyone who has faith in that lamb and his blood, we come drinking it every week. Every week. Because it is that blood that is the covenant god makes the promise you put these this blood on your doorposts right and then 
the angel of God passes over. And now the blood that we drink is from grapes. It's not from the body of Jesus, right? I mean, you get that? Because it's the symbol of what God has already done. We're not wiping. That's why Better Homes and Gardens has better options than that. Because the blood has already been spilt. It's already been shed. It's already been done. It is finished. Some of you today need to be reminded that it is finished. You are trying so hard to make God happy. It is finished. So that is the gospel that God has been revealing over thousands of years of time, Old Testament all the way through. That is the gospel that is always being pointed to, but now fully known in Christ. So now we look back to Christ and realize that he has fulfilled all of these things. When Paul goes to the synagogue, he's taking them to the Old Testament. And he's saying, look, Passover, the promise to David, the promise to Abraham, what you couldn't fulfill with the laws of Moses, Christ. And some believed, and some didn't. But he pointed them to Christ. So now we get to Romans 13 into verse 8. And we've started to see here in, in chapter 12 the description of what love is. He says in verse 10 of chapter 12, love one another with brotherly affection. He's making love known because love is important. He's going to tell us right now how important it is. Verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. To which I say, boom. (laughs) God just dropped a gospel bomb on you. Like, okay, everything's done in Christ, right? Everything's done. Yet we owe a tremendous debt. It's the kind of debt that can never be repaid, yet you are continually to pay it. It's the only kind of debt you are to ever owe. That's, that's what he says. Owe no one anything. Well, are we supposed to owe people stuff? What does he say? Look back at verse 7 of chapter 13. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So there's a way to live in society. And he's specifically talking about governments and leaders and how God has put those things in the world in order to keep just absolute chaos and anarchy from happening as, as much as they are a mess, right? They are still a blessing. They're still from God. And then he says, owe no one anything. Everything that's owed, pay, but owe no one anything. And we can try to make some, oh, you know, we shouldn't be in financial debt. That's what I'd do if I was at some seeker-sensitive church right now. Oh, this is saying you shouldn't have any financial debt because if you have financial debt, it's going to create problems for you. And there, you know, and I start to make some, here's my five points of how to stay out of financial debt. And when you are in financial debt, how to get out of financial debt. And God is the God of financial debt that gets you out of financial debt. Joel Osteen does that for us, right? I'm not recommending him. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) Oh, no one anything except to love each other. 
it's an amazing, it's, it's, it's not, but it's almost, that, it's almost paradoxical sounding. Because we know that it's been done, yet there is something that we must do. In other words, when, when we go, one of, the, one of the great places I, I love to go to to teach people the gospel is to Ephesians chapter 2. And it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? And then it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us. That's verse 4. And then it, it, it's the, by grace you have been saved through faith, verse 8, right? It's one of those great passages, 1 through 10, of Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't know it, know it. That's one of those passages that we'll probably eventually put up on some slides and read week by week by week for a while just to, just to get it in our memory, to make it a part of who we are. And it, and it ends with this. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's not a result of anything you do. And then it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. It's like, what? No works, no works, no works, but works. That's what it says. Except that we always have to remember context, syntax. We have to try to understand the meaning. And the meaning is, is that there's nothing you can do. There's no work that you can do in order to gain the favor of God. But once God has favor on you through his covenantal love, now he has created you for a work. He's redeemed you for a work. It's like going into a foreign land and finding some child who has no parents and bringing them to your house and saying, okay, I'm going to raise you now. I'm going to raise you well. I'm going to teach you God's word. I'm going to teach you math. I'm going to teach you science. And I'm going to teach you, you know, how to win at Jeopardy so you become a millionaire or something like that. I'm going to teach you all these things. And then, and then one day you're going to be released from this family to go. And when you're released, you're you're going to work. Parents, if you're raising your kids to be attached to you and not prepared to leave, then you're not parenting well. And so we are teaching our kids. We're just, you, the, the older our kids get, the more I see that it used to be like, this is how old they are, and now I start counting their age by how much time we have left with them. I, I start to see it. I've only, got, I've only got this much time. How do I prepare Sarah for... When she leaves this house, I prepared Jack for when he never leaves our house and never stops bothering us. <laughs> this is what this is what love looks like. Is that God has not just saved us so that we now become frozen in the carbonite before salvation, right? We don't just, sorry, that was a bit geek-tastic there, wasn't it? Um, we, we don't just become like, okay, now we're saved. We'll just try to keep our lives as protected as possible until eventually Jesus comes back and takes us to heaven. That's what we're here for. And I'll tell you what, we're going to put a bumper sticker on our car so that we can be witnesses to Christ, you know? Or the little, like the, the Christian fish eating the Darwin fish or something. Yeah, congratulations. You'll get lots of people saved by that. That's false. Um, <clears throat> here's, here's, here's my point. He saves us for good works, though there is nothing we can do in good works to be saved. In fact, there are no works that you can do that are good to make you saved, right? So when he saves you, he saves you despite anything that you can do to get there. You're hostile to God unless God comes and makes you unhostile. Okay? Then... He has saved you for a purpose, not to go and live a good life, not to go and be more moral, not to go and to, you know, just be super helpful, not to go and be courageous. 
not to go and be a leader. All of those things are subcategories of who you are to be. And that is a living sacrifice, a dead person who goes and does everything in the power of the Spirit for the purposes of God through Christ. And what that means for us, once the gospel is understood, is that we owe no one anything except to love each other. And that means this. You go today and you love. And you love all of those around. You can't love everybody. What I mean is, it's not that you hate some people. What I mean is, is that you, you can't say, okay, I've got to go try to love everybody in Woodstock today. And guess what percentage of the world that is? You're going to fail to love everybody in the world today. You are. Because you can't. But what you can succeed in, because God gives you his spirit and empowers you to do it, is you can love those he puts in your path. You can love those that he has put around you. And so that is what Paul says is a kind of debt. It's a continuous debt. Because today, you wake up and you say, I need to love I'm going to love all these people. I'm meeting, I'm meeting with Doxa today. I'm going to love. We're going to the nursing home today. And we're going to go and I'm going to love. And then I'm going to watch the Super Bowl today. And I'm not going to love much. But you know what I'm saying. I might, I'll have my family around and, you know, whatever. And there will be love. But Tom Brady, you know. I'll leave it there. So, um. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. If you were to, if you were to feel post Jesus a weight, a burden, it is not a burden to weigh you down to make it drudgery, but the joy of now you are free to go into love, to love well, to love better. There are lots of people in the world who feel loved. I grew up in, 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 a, in, a, in a loving family and I felt very loved and then I found Christ and I went, whoa, something was wrong with my family. And the more time goes by, the more I look back at my family and go, why, why did I feel so much love? Not that there wasn't love. I, I'm not saying anything disparaging about my parents or my, my siblings. But it was, a, it was just this weird, like, I just look back because I know the love of Christ and the love of his people. And I start to say, this love is so different, so much better. Because the gospel was not in my house. So we owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, this isn't the only time we see this, right? This isn't the first time we see this. This comes from Jesus, right? And he says, okay, what does it mean? What does it mean? How do, how do we keep the law? How do we do the law? What is the law? How do, we, how do we shrink down the law? Jesus has asked the question, how do we shrink it down? What is the key to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, strength, right? We love God. Then Paul here focuses on what Jesus says is, and the second greatest commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. For the commandments, you shall commit, not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment can be summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. From Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Which means what? Well, we could talk about the golden rule. How, you know, how, how do you want to be treated by others? There's, there's one way of looking at it. 
How would you like to be treated by others? What would you like your neighbors to be? Think about it. The people that actually live next door to you, in the apartment next to you, whatever. How would you like them to treat you? Some of you say, I wish they would just go away. <laughs> but that's, that's usually in objection to something that has happened. But don't you wish they would look at you with a kind of affection and they would serve at any point and what you had a need and they would just do it joyfully, not like you had to pay them back for something? Wouldn't you love that? Isn't that how you want to be treated? Don't you wish that they would say, hey, um, we're having a party over our house, why don't you come on over? And they would just shower you with good stuff and just, you know, you'd be there and you'd, you'd have enough to eat and it would just be a joy to be around them. You would see them and they would never be that weird person who's always kind of saying something and you're always going, oh, what do they mean? How do they do? They, they would just be, a, you know, that that normal person who just kind of looks at you and they're thinking more and they're asking you more about your life than, than you're like, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're trying to, they want to know you. They want to hear what's important to you. Don't you want that kind of neighbor? Don't you want the neighbor who says, hey, I know, you know, that your husband, your wife is away or whatever. I'm just going to, I'm going to check in on you, okay? Just make sure you're okay. They're the person that you can give your house key to. And that at any point they see something sketchy outside your house, they're calling the police to make sure that your house is taken care of when you're away. They're the person who does stuff and doesn't try to get credit for it. They've just shoveled your driveway, except this winter in which you don't shovel driveways because we've decided not to have winter, right? But you know what I'm saying? They're, they're the person who's, how does it say it in Romans 11? Outdo each other in showing honor. That's family talk, right? That's about, the, that's about the church. But then how should we love our neighbor? How is it different than how we love the church? The only difference is, is the person that we're loving knows Christ and Lord willing is acting for the most part like Christ and growing in Christ and confessing their sins when they do wrong and your neighbor might not and often will not. How are you supposed to change your attitude toward them? To keep loving. To keep loving as if they're a member of your family. To keep treating them as a mother or father, or brother or sister, or son or daughter or grandchild. Keep treating them that way. I was at this conference in Tacoma, Washington. It really wasn't a conference. They don't call it a conference. They call it uh, a school because you're there for a whole week and their goal is not to just teach you things to have in your notebook. Their goal is that you see the rhythms of their life together as a church, which is day by day. And, and sometimes hour by hour. And I have never in my life been so busy from seven in the morning until one in the morning every day for a week straight and having jet lag on the way there, on the way back. I'm still at two in the morning right now going, hey, you know, I'm good. What do you want to do? It's two in the morning. I, I sat just like, got, you know, I'm, I'm all messed up with my time and Verse 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. That's what I saw. I watched it. Not because I came to some church where they were doing it perfectly. In fact, they, to they told you when, you when you came there, you're going to find out we're a mess. We're not bringing you in because we've got it all together. We're bringing you in to show you how the church can just be the church as in the middle of the mess. That's why when we talk about the church, we're, we should use terms like a beautiful mess. We're a mess. God makes us beautiful. Jesus makes us beautiful. The gospel makes us beautiful. 
And so it's a, it was a beautiful mess of watch. I, I remember walking into the pastor's house and um, seeing his kids, and I immediately went over to one kid because he looked like he was about Daniel's size and age. And so I asked him how old he is, and I found out his name, and we got talking about sports. And, and you know, by the time the week is over, every time I see him, I'm kind of grabbing him by the head. And I, a part of it is that I miss my kids. <laughs> Makes it easy to love on people when you miss your kids, and they've got kids, and you're like, oh. There's this one, there's one girl, I think her name was, I want to say it was Zoe, but um, it's a beautiful uh, eight, nine-year-old girl, and she would just stand in front of her dad, and she'd look right up at you and just be interested in what you guys were talking about, and, and you, just, you just wanted to kind of, you know, just kind of go, oh, she's just, oh, where's my kids? And I was, like, so missing them, and I'm trying to love on these kids as if they're my own. I, don't, I didn't know them. In two years, if I saw them, they wouldn't remember me, probably. But we're all a part of the same family, so we treat each other like family, and it was a beautiful thing. And that's not just how you to treat your family, it's how you treat your neighbor. Because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Some of you have been doing wrong to a neighbor, maybe many neighbors. You need to go repent. Go this week. Go knock on a door. Like literally to your neighbor. Obviously we know, as Jesus tells, you know, that the neighbor is not just like the person next door. It is. But the neighbor is the one beat up on the side of the road. As I said before, it's not everybody in the world as if we can go love everybody today. But it's the one that we see today. You, You see what I'm saying? There's people that I will see today and there's people that I won't. So when I'm around the people that I see, I will love them. It's interesting, um, I hadn't thought about this till just now, but the pastor of this, of this church that uh, I went to the school at, um, the first two times that we've ever talked were at two different conferences, and then we were talking, and so when Molly and I went to Arizona to this adoption conference in the fall, um, we had a really long talk with Jeff there, and it was a really good talk. And one of the things he said is, he says, when I go to conferences, a lot of these guys, they fly in, you know, they do their talk, and they get back on a plane and fly out. And he says, I've made, I've made it my goal when I come to a conference that I am fully there. I, I'm, I'm not giving time to other stuff. I'm not calling my elders and trying to figure out all the stuff to do at my church where it's far from here. When I'm here, I'm here. Because I believe God's brought me here and I, my job is to love those who are here. To serve those who are here. And I, it's just, just putting this together just now, it's like, what a beautiful thing to just be fully where you are. How many of you come home from work and you're still at work? They come home from school and you're still at school. How many of you are, how many of you are in next week? Or maybe in six months? Or maybe you're at tax time. How many of you were there? How many of you were in last week? How many of you are still, every day, something else is going on that's reminding you of something bad that happened over Christmas? Or maybe something good? How many of you are still thinking about that person who completely ripped you one two years ago. How many of you are still living there? Every day has enough trouble of its own, Jesus says, right? So we have today. What do you do? What do you do? Okay, God, this is, this is one of the questions that, uh, that, that I heard last week that is just stuck with me and, and that I want to teach to you. It's one of the simplest questions that you can ask 
of God and specifically through his spirit because the spirit's the one who's active, right? God the Father sent the Son, and the Son raised right hand of God, he sends the Spirit. The Spirit is now active, but he is now pointing us to God through Christ, right? So the Spirit is the one who is at work. And so the question that I was taught is, is two words, okay? You, you shouldn't have to write this down because it should be simple, but I, I encourage you to write it down if you think you're going to forget it. What's next? Some of you, when you think of what's next, you're trying to think, what do I want? What, what do I want to do? How is it going to go? How many of you are doing something and then when you have your next slot open, you ask God, what's next? Speak, show, put somebody in my way, change my schedule. What's next? I encourage you to ask that question, to make that a part of your routine. It's, there's nothing weird about it. There's no book that needs to be written about it. It's just the regular Christian life. It should be. What's next? If you, don't, if you don't ask that question, you'll fill it with something of your own. Okay? So, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Maybe you need to go ask their forgiveness. Maybe you need to say, I just, I just haven't loved. I haven't done anything. I don't know their names. You know, how, many, how many of you could say, don't raise your hand, how many of you could say, I can tell you all the names of all the people that live around me? Maybe if you've been there long enough and you've been forced because some major thing happens and everybody's power goes out. So everybody goes out in the street and they're like, what's going on? Why did all the power go out? And now you've just, it's like God just forced you to actually know their name. And then maybe next year you'll talk to him again, right? If there's another power outage, at least. Maybe, maybe it's just been that you've done nothing. Talked to a guy uh, named Seth, who's a, an elder, one of um, Soma is the name of the church of one of their um, gatherings, one of their plate, one of their churches, and and Seth said that what he did is he threw he threw a party. He said we lived in a place for six years and didn't know any of our neighbors. He said I literally couldn't tell you the name of the people who lived right across the street from me. So he he, he created a little flyer. Just something silly, you know, something neighbory, something that would look just normal to the average person. And he just went house to house with his family and just said, hey, you know what? We, uh, we've really messed up because we've been here for six years and we have no idea who you are. And, and that's our fault. And uh, number one, would you forgive us for just being bad neighbors? And number two, um, we're going to have a bunch of chicken, you know, on the grill. It's going to be really good and we want to invite you over. And then he said, inevitably, house by house, all of a sudden it just kept coming where people were going, man, we've been here for six years and we don't know you either, so would you forgive us? Hello, I mean, open door to relationship. They are having week by week, every week, either a barbecue or a breakfast. Every week with their neighbors, the people on their street. Every week. And it started with them just going... You don't have to, in other words, you don't have to go, oh, I've really messed up. I need to move and go and start over. Like, start fresh. You don't start fresh by going away. You start fresh by being obedient now, right? Where you are. And so, start. How do you go and love your neighbor? Well, first, you don't do wrong to a neighbor. That's kind of the way we know it. We, we go and we love. We don't, we don't do them harm. We not only just wish them well, we actually do them well. So 
loving your neighbor as yourself, not doing wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. It is the fulfilling of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, how? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, love in Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And then now we are created for good works. To do good things. What does that mean? Love. This is not complicated, folks, right? I'm not trying to give you some weird, you know, physics equation. I'm not trying to provide you with some crazy formula. And, and to be honest, let's just be really honest. God's loving of you is far more difficult on paper than your loving of your neighbor. Because God is loving the sinner and he is holy. And we are the sinner loving someone just like us. The problem is, is you don't look at your neighbor as someone just like you. You look at your neighbor as someone less than you. And so do I. You look at them as the ones who don't have it all together. And, well, you don't have it all together too. And you'll admit that, but not to them. That's why we're, to, we're exhorted over and over in the scriptures to treat each other as be, treat, treat other people as better than us. So, so love is something that we owe. You'd love today fully. You're going to wake up tomorrow. Guess what? Guess what tomorrow? You still owe a full debt of love. And you go all day, not trying to repay it because you can't, but continually giving, loving, continually giving, loving, serving. And then he says this in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. Okay, love fulfills the law. Love is owed. It is the thing that God has made us for. It's the reason he has saved us, the reason he has redeemed us. And now is specifically the best time to love. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Now, often when we think of waking from sleep, what do we think of? Those who are dead in Christ being alive or awake in Christ, right? That's how we think of sleep. But he's not talking about non-Christians here. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about us. You know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Meaning, it, it, it's not a time for dullness. It's not a time for dryness. It's not a time for apathy. It's not a time to, to lack wakefulness. My friend Jared Wilson wrote a book that I encourage you to read called Gospel Wakefulness. That there is a kind of awakening that God does, not just to, from people who are not Christians to become Christians, but also as Christians, where those, those, it's just, you're walking through life and there's this kind of growing dullness and then God reawakens you or, or sort of refreshes you, sort of take, it's, it's like a, like a personal revival is the way I would put it. Okay. It's an older terminology, but I think it's helpful. It's, it's the time to love. You know the time. The hours come for you to wake from sleep. How do we know that? For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. How do we know it's nearer to us? Because you're a minute older. The countdown clock that I have for my kids when they leave the house, you have until death. 
For some of you, it's sooner than you think. For a lot of us, it's probably sooner than we think, right? But there is now a countdown clock. But the countdown, the countdown clock is not counting down and it is starting to look dark. Please hear me. Look at what it says. The time has come for you to wake from your sleep, right? That's verse 11. For salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's growing close. And then he says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. When we think of death, what do we think of? We think of our lives ending. We think of pain, right? What else do we think of? Sadness, right? And we think of heaven that we think of. Let's just look at the way he puts it. The night is far gone. As you live your life, as you go day by day, you are walking away from the night. It's growing distant. What's in the horizon? The light. So you know all those kooky, you know, books and people that go on Oprah and they're like, yeah, you know, almost died and, and I saw this light and then God looked like this. And then they put on somebody else on Oprah and they said, well, I saw a light, but God looked like this. And they're totally different. Like, what's up with that? Well, I'll tell you what's up with that. They're all a bunch of liars, okay? That's what's up with that. When it comes down to it, we are walking toward the light. That's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. We are the ones who realize, wow, why am I sleeping? That's, that's darkness. That's that way. Repentance actually means that you're heading one way and then you realize it's the wrong way and you turn and go the other way. I'm sinning, and now I'm going to walk in my salvation, not to earn it, but because God has changed me so that I turn and go the other way. And so what's happening is, is I'm walking into the darkness, and then God turns me toward the light. He turns me toward the dawn, and here comes the sun peeking over the horizon. And for those of you who are morning people, as the rest of us don't appreciate it as much as we should, to wake up in the morning and to have that sun peeking up over, especially when you wake up in the dark, I was in Tacoma for a week. I lived in the middle of the day in the dark and most of the days. I mean, it was just rain, 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 you know. But then there were those days where it was like, oh, it is like we just noticed it. It's clear. I'm sitting in the car with a couple of Canadian guys who were driving back and forth from the house. I was at 20 minutes from their building. And uh, there's one day we're driving in and we, I was like, oh, look, it's Tacoma. Like it, usually it was rain and you were just trying to see the car in front of you. And also we went, huh. Tacoma actually is a city, like there's a place. It's not just a couple buildings around our car. There's a whole thing I can see. It was really weird. It's like the, you know, we had gotten to the light. And we were stuck in the darkness. If you're stuck in the darkness, what you don't do is try to find a way to turn toward the light. You repent and trust in Christ. And God will point you to the light. God will point you to Christ. In in the end of the Bible, in Revelation, by the way, Jerry, you haven't figured out yet? You're not singing at the end of the service. Sorry. <laughs> so this was the first week where Jerry wrote and said, uh, and here's a song at the end, if we have time for it. He's starting to realize Steve talks. Um, and, and, and so it is the night now is far gone, which means you're walking this way. You're walking this way. You're headed toward the light. You're headed to where the sun is peaking. And at the end of Revelation, it says there's no more sun. Why is there no more sun? 
because we have Jesus. It says Jesus is now the light of the city of God. The only light that... He, he creates the sun to, to be this part of this ecosystem, this, you know, this creation. But the light for eternity comes from God himself and specifically through his son. So the night is far gone. The day is at hand. It's peeking over the horizon. How many of you have ever been in the middle of a night where you can't sleep or, or where you're just itching for the next day? Or, you know, for me, it's when I have to catch a flight in the morning and I just, I've, it's hard to sleep because I've got, you know, my mind's like, I don't want to forget to wake up and get to the airport or whatever. And it's kind of a relief, like the day has dawned and now, okay, now I'm up and I'm, and I'm moving and everything. There's, I have a different kind of perspective on things. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So what are you doing? Now look at me. This is what Paul is saying. Some of you are sleeping. You have trusted Christ and you are asleep. And you've become apathetic. And the Spirit is no voice in your ear. And the Word is no voice in your ear. Which is how the Spirit speaks to us often, right? Through His Word. And so there's no, there's no movement of God in your life that is leading you forward. That is taking you toward the horizon where the sun is beginning to rise. And you're starting to see the beauty of the true light of God. Not to be too mystical or weird or spiritual. I'm, I'm, this is... Everybody else is basing it on this, and it's less than. This is the truth. That night is going away, so what are you doing sleeping? So then, this is the middle of verse 12, let us cast off our works of darkness and put on the armor of light. How are you staying in the darkness? What does that sleep look like? It's not actually sleep. He's not saying you're literally asleep. You guys are here. Well, of course, I'm preaching, which means some of you are sleeping, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what does it mean that you are sleeping? The works of darkness. You have been given the light. You've been given the day. You've been given the works of righteousness that Christ has already done. So you don't have to make God happy. He's already happy with you. You get to go now because he's made you for that. You get to go and do what? Love. You get to go and love. So what are you doing? Sleeping, meaning living out the works of darkness. Cast off. The works of darkness. See, it's what I do with my cat, right? My cat, this is what happens. Okay, this is biblical. I want to wear a dark colored shirt. So I take it out of my closet. And what do I do with it? I lay it on my bed. And what does my cat say? Oh, nappy place, right? That's what my cat says because he's white. And my shirt is black. And he's decided to make his little bed there with his little paws. And, oh, look, it looks, it's, it's different than the normal. It's like the bed's just as comfortable. It's this thick. <laughs> right? It's not like I'm, I'm wearing like a pillow top. You know what I'm saying? And so 
He goes, oh, and here we go, and this looks really great, and I'm going to sleep on this. And what do I do? I cast him off. I just launch that, not, okay, not, not violently, but you know what I'm saying. Get off my bed, right? You shall not pass. We're going full geek today. Here we go. Lord of the Rings, by the way, if you didn't know. Lord of the Rings. Frodo Baggins. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness. Here's what you're doing. Works of darkness, dance with me, right? You're like, hey, it's party time with the works of darkness. Raise your hands in the air like you just don't care. And you're going, oh, these works of darkness, they're really fun. They're fun for a while. Okay, church time, Sunday morning. Let's go and let's kind of, okay, take the Lord's Supper. I feel really guilty about that stuff. Party time. Let's start dancing with the works of darkness. And you need to take the works of darkness and you need to chuck them across the room. Punch him in the face. Okay. This is why you watch UFC, so you know how to battle sin. (laughs) Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. It doesn't say put on light. Darkness versus light, it says the armor of light. In which you are equipped for the battle. In which what comes at you. You know, you, you, you are Wonder Woman with those awesome bracelets, right? Okay, nobody got that? Sorry. A bunch of guys in here is like, I can't say that I want that. Um, oh, the lasso is tied around me. I have to tell the truth now. Sorry. Just, I have no idea why I'm going full comic book today, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> so, verse 13. Let's finish this up because we're out of time. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. So, it's taking the metaphor because it's, the point is, whether it's nighttime or daytime, you're walking in the daytime as if you're in the daytime. It's a metaphor. And so you are to be one clothed in the armor of light. You are the one that is casting off the works of darkness. You are the one who is prepared fully to say um, no orgies, no drunkenness, no sexual morality, no sensuality, no... Okay, this is where it gets good because some of you are going, oh, well, the big sins, I, you know, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to keep away from those. And it says no quarreling. Ha ha, Paul says, gotcha. Some of you thought that I was going to take it easy on the people who think that li- those are little sins. Hear me. And for those of you who don't know this word, your parents can explain it to you if they desire to. Orgy. Quarreling. Paul puts them on the same level. Because they're all the works of darkness. You hear me? They're on the same level. So, you in your I don't have any big sins, they are huge and they are killing you and they are killing your family and they are killing your church. Think about the last two. Quarreling and jealousy. Oh, my this is what is better. My idea is better. My whatever is better. That's quarreling. It's jealousy. Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Armor of light is Jesus. 
I, for anybody who goes, oh, the Bible is just this old written book, you can't make this stuff up. These guys were not that smart. You know what I'm saying? To, to see these images just bleed together so well is, is beautiful. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the light for the city of God in Revelation, is the armor of light that we are now wearing. It is our daytime clothing. You know, it's like indoor versus outdoor voices that we teach kids about. It's time to use your indoor voice, you know. He is our clothing, which doesn't mean we merely imitate his character or his works or we try to just go, oh, you know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do can send you straight to hell? Because what would Jesus do can very well just mean I'm going to go try to be moral like Jesus. And you will go to hell for trying to make your own righteousness. You, you can't become a good person by trying hard. You come, become a good person because Christ makes you a good person. By giving up. And by him sanctifying you, maturing you. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. You know what provision is, right? Um, I know we're way over time. I'm really going to wrap it up right here. This is provision for the flesh. National Weather Service says there's going to be a snowstorm that is coming to Chicagoland area. It is going to drop 14 to 18 inches of snow. It's going to have 45 mile an hour gusts. And you have to drive somewhere, right? Of course. That's how it works. So what do you do? Well, I'm not going to wear my coat because I don't feel like it. I'll just have the car warmed up. And I hop in my car and I drive for 50 miles somewhere in the middle of the blizzard. Who's going to do that? Is that smart? What should you do? Make provision for the snow. I'm going to take a road flare in my trunk, <laughs> right? I'm going to pack extra clothes. We always have extra clothes in the trunk of our van, extra warm clothes, because you just never know. Keep a flashlight. Have, have your phone charged, your cell phone. If, you know, make sure that you're ready for something that happens. What happens if you get stuck on the side of the road? What are you going to do? How are you going to get out of it? You make provision beforehand. I go, I go to conferences, and I never pack when I, when I go with Joe. Um, he didn't go on this trip, but when I go to a conference with Joe, I always pack about 20 extra things than I need because I know inevitably Joe's going to go, hey man, can I have one of those water bottles? <laughs> and then of course I verbally slap him around for a while. You know you're going to get thirsty. What's wrong with you? I go on a mountain biking trip with my friend Brian. Guess who doesn't have enough water? I've got to pack enough for myself and someone else because nobody ever makes provision. Okay, just a pet peeve. All right. So, <clears throat> but, but that's the example because it's my pet peeve and I tend to be overprepared. I actually had a suitcase that was so big that I took off the plane. I brought it there and I had people laugh at me. They're like, we packed all of our stuff in this and we became as a couple. And I was like, oh, I've got my bag. I've got a carry on and I've got the biggest suitcase I could find in my house. And it's loaded. Right? It's loaded to the gills, and I've got all kinds of stuff I bring home that has not been worn because I'm making provision. But here's what we don't do is make provision for the flesh. The flesh is the part of you that wants to do the deeds of darkness. It wants you to do those evil things. 
Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Starve your flesh. Starve it. Make it die. We are in the mode in my house right now of starving our children of certain things, things that can be good and things that can be abused, and they are now growing hungry because they are no longer allowed to do certain things. And it's just a part of it as we say, look, you know, you're out of balance right now. You're, you're, you're feeding on this. You have to have it. And that's bad. And so we're going to starve it for a while. And that's good for you. And so we make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's a sinful desires. We starve it out. Why? Why do we starve it out? Because we're in a fight against darkness and that darkness is behind us. We are headed toward the light. And as we're headed toward the light, what are we to do? We're to run for the horizon, loving everyone across our path in order to try to point them to the same place that we're going. And that takes Jesus, gospel, loving deeds, all of that to show this is where we're going. If this is odd for you to hear, I mean, this is not your normal, like, this is the kind of Christianity you understand. It might be that you don't know Christ. That's how I grew up. I thought I knew and I didn't. And so I encourage you now to just spend a moment and quietly start repenting of your sins to God. That you've tried to run life your own way without Him. That you've tried to do your own thing. That you've tried to find your way to God rather than trust that what God has done through Christ is for you. For those of you who have grown deaf to the promptings of God through His Spirit, for those of you who have grown deaf, my biggest, my biggest confession at this conference, and I made it both. We had, a, we had a group of three guys. We had to, this is what you don't want to do. Go to a conference. They say, break up into groups of three and start confessing your sin to each other. And we were like, if you would have put that on the schedule, I might not have signed up, right? I, I might not have been there because that didn't sound like fun. And it was one of the best things I've ever done. And the conference is ending and everybody stands up. There's this whole room full of people. And everybody that came stands up and says, what's one takeaway from the conference? And my, I said, my takeaway is I'm not hearing the spirit of God. I mean, it's not that I'm never hearing the spirit of God, but I have just, I feel like I've grown deaf. And so as your pastor, I ask you to forgive me for that. And I'll just tell you, that in a room full of pastors and church planters, most of them who are younger than me and had less gray hair than me, uh, less kids than me, you know, um, this was the ongoing theme for almost everybody. They, even the leaders responded that way in, in tears because they saw people going, we need, we need God, we're growing dull, we're sleeping. And we are to be awake and clothed in Christ, the armor of life. I encourage you to wake up. It's time. 
whatever your slumber, whatever your sleep, whatever your apathy, whatever your busyness, whatever your lack of margin in your life for the interruptions of God, whatever you think that you're doing for God, but is really not for God, it's for you, where you're doing it for your pride to be recognized, whatever your sin is, whatever your struggle is, whatever, whatever is in the way, just encourage you. When sin is there, just cast it off. Confess your sins to one another. And let's run toward the light. Stand with me for closing prayer. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray. I pray for this church, for this gathering of people, for, for the people that you have brought here as you have gathered us in the name of Christ in order to help uh, us know the gospel in order to help others know the gospel. You have led us together here this morning in order to hear this good news again, in order to be changed by it. We're not here, God, in order to give you something, but in order to receive something. And right now we desperately need you, whether we know it or not, or admit it or not, we need some of us to confess that we need you. All of us need to confess that we need you much more than we're trusting you now. And so we pray that you would be at work here now. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place. As your people, we have been called to such a great calling, such a great mission. And we are asleep. Wake us up and send us out. There would be people clothed in light, casting off the deeds of darkness, and being changed by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.